How many of you have ever seen the uh, um, Energizer Bunny on TV? And do you know the name of the battery that they uh, uh, promote? Ever Ready. And, that, and their deal is it's supposed to be ever ready for everything. Well, this morning, I want us to think about that ready part, and I want us to think about being revival ready. And we're going to do this a little differently today. We're not going to turn in our Bibles. We're going to stand together, if you can, and read from the screen with me. Would you stand? Would you read these scriptures? We've got about four or five of them, so don't get... Don't get too big of a hurry. Read this with me. Great are your tender mercies, O Lord. Revive me according to your judgments. Revive me. Next, if you will. Revive me according to your loving kindness, so that I may keep the testimony of your mouth. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things. And revive me in your way. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? O oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O oh Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath. Remember. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will be in this place. We pray that you will be here in such a way that we cannot get around recognizing you and knowing that you're here. We pray that every word spoken will be from you and it will speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll break down the barriers that Satan throws up. And I pray that you will move into our lives. And I pray that you will indeed revive us today. In your name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Next week, we begin a series of meetings that we have traditionally called Revival. Now, some of the old-timers will remember when it used to be a month long. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you'll date yourself, okay? Some others remember when it was three weeks long. Still others remember when it was two weeks long. Then others remember when it was one week long. And then there are those of us who remember it was six days. And then four days, and a lot of churches today have gone to one-day revival. Preached one not long ago. Next week, from Sunday to Wednesday, we have set aside a time... For revival effort. Now, just so you know, this is not really asking a lot of our congregation. Because Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night are regular church times. And all we've asked is Monday and Tuesday. So we have five short services. But you know what the truth is? Traditionally, we call that a revival. And when we secure a speaker, Brother Steve Hill is going to do us a great job. As you'll read in the letter this week, Brother Steve was introduced to me by Brother Roy Morgan. Roy and Gene are good friends of Steve and uh, recommended him highly, gave me a book that he had written, and we're, we're in for a treat next week if we'll be here. But, but the truth is, is that we as Baptists traditionally, we set aside the week, we call it revival, we do all the things which we will do logistically to get a crowd here, 
We get excited about the music. We get excited about the services. We get excited about all this stuff. And when the revival meeting passes, our, our excitement's gone. Is that really a revival? Is that really a revival? This morning as I prayed in my study, my heart has been, and I've really given myself to it for eight weeks, is, Lord, we need a Holy Ghost, heaven-sent, spirit-filled revival in this place. Now, so I felt led this morning to let's just talk about being revival ready. Now, how are we going to do that? Flip on the back of the bulletin. You can follow along, follow along on the screen. We're going to just basically talk about four questions this morning. First of all, revival, what is it? Revival, what is it? Well, I know that you understand that your pastor is going to give you his definition of, of a real revival. But before I do that, and you're not going to be able to write all these down. If some of you decide that you want all these definitions, um, I'll be glad to email them to you or put them on a hard copy. But I want you to hear what some of the great leaders of the faith. Let's begin with Charles Finney. Great leaders of the faith have said, Charles Finney says it this way. Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. Followed by an intense desire to live in the obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Let's move forward. I think it's Vance Havner says revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Stephen Olford, some of us remember Brother Stephen, revival is not some emotion or worked up excitement. It is rather, I love this, an invasion from heaven which brings to man a conscious awareness of God. Can you imagine walking around every day with a conscious awareness of God? Every word you say, everything you do, every action, every uh, uh, reaction, God's there watching. Don Robinson says revival is a renewal of spiritual life in an individual or among a group of people. Robert Coleman wrote the Master Plan of Evangelism almost 40 years ago, and he says, Revival is that sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people, restoring and releasing them into fullness of his blessing. Henry Blackaby and Claude King says it this way. Now, if you don't know Henry Blackaby and Claude King, this is, uh, 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 I just went blank. See the book. Say again. Experiencing God was the one I was trying to think of, yes. Claude King is one of our great uh, prayer writers for the Southern Baptist Convention. They say revival is a return to spiritual health after a, spiritual, after a period of decline into sin and broken fellowship with God. You do understand that when we sin, we break fellowship with God. Revival is for God's people when they need to be forgiven and restored to life, spiritual health, and vitality. And then my definition is this. God shows up revealing our sin to us, convicting us of sin, calling us to confession and repentance, leading us to a response in which he cleans our lives, corrects our thinking, writes our relationship, and changes our hearts. Now, having done all of these things, are you a little bit curious as to how the Bible defines revival? Well, I could not find a definition, but here's what I will tell you. Those five scriptures, four from Psalm 119, one from Habakkuk 3, 
all of them use the word revival. We read the King James Version. Revive us, O Lord. Revive us according to your judgments, your, tender, your loving kindness, according to your ways. Lord, will you revive us? Revive your works in the midst of the days. What does that mean? Well, every other translation just about since the, since the King James Version translates that word from the Hebrew in this way. Give us life. What a definition for revival. Give us life. I mean, we, we know that, revive, that being revived is about life. On more than one occasion in this worship center, we've seen people's heart almost stop and have stopped, and we've seen people jump into action, and they literally brought those folks back to life by doing CPR and mouth-to-mouth, bringing them back from the dead. They revived them. To the person today that may be under my voice, and you never asked Jesus into your heart and life, you know what the Bible says? says you need reviving because the Bible says that before Jesus we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Without Jesus we're dead. Without Jesus there is no life. Ephesians 2 said, but you were dead in your trespasses of sin. Now that is before Jesus. If you've never, if you've never met Jesus, you're a dead man. That death comes all the way from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate the fruit. Something in them died when they ate the fruit. When we sin, something in us dies. Apart from Christ, we are dead. But Ephesians goes on to say, but God. Now, that's about the only time I love to hear the word but. You know, if somebody says but, you better settle back. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but God, who is rich in his love, has made us alive together in Christ Jesus. If you've never invited Christ into your life before this moment right now, please listen. Just as sure as the sun came up this morning, you are on your way to a place not designed for you when you leave this life. You're on your way to a place called hell. And that is eternal punishment. And you don't want to go there. We don't want you to go there. Whatever you do today, Come and let him revive your spirit today. Now, if you've trusted Christ, how in the world does a believer get to the point where they need revival? I mean, you and I, all, you and I together, we remember the day we met Jesus, the excitement that flooded our soul, the joy that flooded our soul. We just couldn't get enough of doing what he wanted us to do, and then it happened. Life happened. And then either some trauma or some hurt or some sin or some temptation or something came in and just blindsided us. Part of the reason we get blindsided so easily is that we don't expect anything to happen. Please listen, if you're in the kingdom of God, if you're doing your best to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Satan doesn't like it, and he's going to throw stuff at you. But whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It comes in and it totally traumatizes your life, and, and you find your heart growing colder. You find your life getting a little out of sorts. You find your words not being seasoned with grace. 
You find it much easier to catch on that gossip line. You find it much easier to be critical. You find it much easier to do the things that are displeasing to God. And it is just like it says in Revelation, you have left, lost, or forgotten your first love. Believers today, as we go through this message that I believe is from heaven itself, we have a couple of choices. We have the choice that we can resist it. Now, every time God speaks to us in our heart and we resist it, our hearts become a little harder and a little harder and a little harder. And the book of Psalms tells us that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, will not always strive with man. We have the choice that we can turn away or we have the choice that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and let him do a work in us like has not been done in years. What is revival? It's bringing us back to life from death. If you've ever been apart from Christ and from his Holy Spirit as a believer, you know what I'm talking about. You dread being in church. You dread being around fellow believers. You dread having to, you just dread life. How many times have I seen people that just walk around the church with a scowl on their face and you think, dear Lord, whatever it is going on in them, please do a work. Please, please bring healing. Please bring some joy. Please reveal to them what they need to do to be back in step with you. That's what revival is. Give us life. Revival, when, when is it needed? When is it needed? Well, it's needed any time a believer has left, lost, or forgotten their first love. It's, it's needed any time situations and circumstances in life pull us down to the point we, don't, we no longer have fellowship with the Father, no longer have relationships with our brothers and sisters. And, I've, and I've, as I've read the Scripture and studied this week, I'll suggest three general things to you that will tell us when we need uh, revival. The first one is what I call corrupted standards. Corrupted standards. Now, what in the world are corrupted standards? Well, as you know, I've been doing a lot of reading, and Leonard Ravenhill, in his book, Revival Terries, says this. We have unconsciously bought into the, the convenient theory that the Bible is a book to be explained. But first and foremost, the Bible is a book to be believed. And I'll add, and obeyed. You see, it's one thing to know the Word of God. It is another thing entirely to know the God of the Word. There are so many standards that our Lord puts in here for us. He says, be holy as I am holy. He says, love one another. He says, build up one another. He says, look after one another. He says, don't gossip, don't tear down one another. And he gives us all these standards. And any time that we reduce those standards... All of a sudden, we've corrupted them. And you know what happens? When we choose, watch this, when we choose to take be holy as I am holy and reduce it to the standard of today, 
we, re- we lower that standard that we don't have to be holy like he's holy. We have to be holy like Brother Jimmy's holy or Brother Don's holy or Brother Jerry's holy. When we lower that standard such uh, an amount or any amount, what happens is that all of a sudden other things in our life get out of whack because now we can rationalize everything out. And Satan begins to really have a field day. We lower this, be holy as I am holy to whatever, whatever we want it to be. And then all of a sudden it's okay not to love one another. It's okay not to build up one another. It's okay to gossip about one another. It's okay to be a part of the problem instead of a part of the solution. When we lower God's standards, we have corrupted the very standard that protects us and gives us life. Corrupted standards. The second thing that I would suggest to you that, that tells us revival's need is not just corrupted standards, but compromised beliefs. Now, make no mistake about it. The Bible does not speak clearly on every issue that you will ever face. It does not, it does not tell you who you're going to marry. It really does not give you an... uh, uh, It does not say, this is the way you'll go about it. But when when the Bible does not speak directly to something, there are plenty of principles. That's why we have to linger over God's Word. That's why we have to learn God's Word so that we can live out God's Word. I know some of you are not going to like this illustration, but it's perfect. The Bible speaks clearly about human sexuality. And it tells us that the only acceptable sexual relationship to God is between a husband and wife in the confines of marriage. Everything else is sin. One of the sad parts today is among so many divorcees, they think it doesn't apply to them anymore. Everything else is sin. And, and what the Bible dogmatizes, sometimes we try to rationalize that it's all okay. It's not that big a deal. Well, it is that big a deal to God. And God does not visit a people with compromised beliefs. By the way, the Scripture also teaches us, church, that the church is responsible to make sure that Sin is kept out of the family. Now, we're not to do this in a mean-spirited way, but it's still, we are responsible to the church body, and the church body is responsible to us. Our ladies have just started an accountability group, or several groups, where they come in every week and they hold each other accountable. We may have some of those ladies to testify before long about how this has impacted their life. But you see... This concept of living and let live and the, and the church don't have a bit part in trying to keep people living the, by the Scripture is absolutely of the devil and of our late, our late culture. We compromise our beliefs and God will not visit us with compromised beliefs. He will not visit us with corrupted standards. Well, let's bring it down real personal. Not only compromised standards, not only compromised beliefs, corrupted standards, But number three, a complacent attitude. Oh, I don't care. Let somebody else do it. And somebody else. Can I just tell you, George Phillips is over here and he always smiles when I do this. For years it's been let George do it. George is tired. 
Georgia's tired. Well, Brother Jerry, you can't be talking about us. Well, yeah, we can talk about us. We need people to host in-home prayer meetings, to get before the throne. Let somebody else do it. We need prayer walkers. Let somebody else do it. We need pack a puke captains. Let somebody else do it. We need uh, teachers. Let somebody else do it. We need people to sing in the choir. Let somebody else do it. We need people to give time and, and help with some ministry issues. Well, let somebody else do it. You see, God will not bless a complacent attitude. When our way becomes more important than His way, it is no way. You see, when it's needed is when we see ourselves in the mirror of His Word. Living by our standards, not His standards. Believing what we think is right and acting on our beliefs. Not worrying about whether people go to heaven or hell. When is it needed? I believe I painted a picture of just about all of the church of, of um, the church culture in America right here. We wonder why our Lord don't show up. Could this be why? And it is at this point, some of us, excuse my terminology, some of us are just blowing off this message. I heard that preacher again trying to get us to do something. Well, may I just say this to you? You can level at me all you want to. I, I, I'm just the messenger. I serve at my king's command. I serve for as long as he wants me to, and I serve as short as he wants me to. You could do something about the preacher. You don't have to like the preacher. You don't have to like what he says. But here's what I'll tell you. You'll stand in judgment one day because if you live by corrupted standards, you've broken the standard of God and sin. If you live by compromised beliefs, you're going to be accountable not to me but to him. If you have a don't-care attitude, you'll be responsible to him. Here's what I want to tell you. Sure as I'm standing here, there will be some of our neighbors and our friends who will be dead eternally in a place called hell because of what we see on the screen, because we refuse to hear. So that brings us to the third question. Revival, how does it begin? How does it begin? Well, I'm going to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7. If you want to turn there, it will not be on the screen. Second Chronicles chapter 7. I want to begin by saying this. Revival begins like salvation begins. It begins in heaven from God. It begins in heaven. You see, when you're outside of Christ... And you hear the word, the Holy Spirit of God comes into you and starts that process we know as salvation. That's what you sense inside. If there's to be revival, it's because God has reached down with the hook of his Holy Spirit and hooked your heart today. It begins in heaven. But listen, God is not willing that any should perish. And God is willing to revive Renew and restore his people in this place. But make no mistake about it. He will not 
step a foot out of heaven as long as his people turn their back on him. If you look in that seventh, uh, that seventh chapter of Second Chronicles, most of us know and think I'm going directly to verse 14. But I want to begin back up in verse 12. And I want to set it up like this. You need to understand the context here. Solomon has just finished the temple. Solomon has stood before his people. You can find this in chapter 6. And knelt down and raised his hands to heaven and prayed the prayer of repentance, prayed the prayer of invitation for God to come in. He wanted the, the temple that he had, he had built unto the Lord. He wanted it to be filled with the glory of the Lord. And then in verse 12, after that dedication ceremony, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. May I pause just a second before we proceed and say, get those words. It wasn't a temple of worship. <laughs> it wasn't a temple of service. It wasn't a temple of right living. It began with a temple of sacrifice. That's a, that's a word we don't like today. Sacrifice may mean that I have to redirect money. Sacrifice may mean I have to change my schedule. Sacrifice may mean I miss a football game. Sacrifice may mean I miss a golfing event. Sacrifice, it could mean a lot of things. Perhaps we have missed what God intended for us because we have dismissed the concept of sacrifice. I've made this place, I've chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. Verse 13. If I close the sky so there is no rain, or if... I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence on my people. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, Solomon, it doesn't matter what I do. I can send the good. I can send the bad. I can send the people to suck the life out of the church. I cannot send the Holy Spirit around. I cannot send any uh, fruit. Whatever I do, here's what I want to tell you. And it gets to 14. And... Doing all these things, my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. So let's pause right there. Because I think there are three concepts that we can get from here as to how it begins. Understanding God comes to us and it begins to work on us. And I found three words that I want to offer you. First of all is the word responsibility. How it begins with the right people being responsible. You understand the context of this, how God was speaking to Solomon. You understand what Solomon had done. He had done all he could do. If you go back to verse 11, Solomon had done everything that the Lord had put in his heart for the Lord's temple. And God says, here's the key. If my people called by my name. If there is to be a revival, it will begin in the hearts of God's people. It will not begin and the hearts of the lost people. If there is to be a revival, the hearts of God's people will be softened. If there, if there is to be a revival, in fact, if you want to know how serious I think this is, 
if there's to be a United States of America in 10 years for my piper, for your grandkids, it's up to God's people. If my people call by my name, you know, I remember as a kid, and some of you will remember this, some of you won't. I remember going out at night and my dad saying, son, remember your name. Yikes. Has anybody ever been told that before? Remember your name. You know what he was saying? Don't do anything to shame your name. Every time you speak a word, every time you take an action, every time you do something, think about who you represent. I wonder today, and I'm just wondering, if our Lord Jesus were to come down and stand here, knowing what he knows about us, would we have represented his name well? In the last month, would our words have been seasoned with grace to where people knew that we were His? Would our attitudes have let people see Him through us? The responsibility is our. We can't deflect it. We can ignore it and be accountable for it at the judgment seat. But the responsibility is for those who are called by the name of Jesus. second word that I offer you is a very unpopular word. It is the word repentance. If my people call by my name, now watch this. If they'll humble themselves, if they'll pray, and if they'll turn from their evil ways. If they'll humble themselves and pray. And turn from their evil ways. What a picture of repentance. I'm sad to say that the longer that I'm in the ministry, the more I see the original sin. I'm talking about even before Adam and Eve. The original sin through God's people. It's a sin that God hates so much that he resists. Literally the word means stiff arms. It is the word pride. You see, nobody struts into the presence of God. Satan himself was kicked out of heaven because of his pride. He said, man, I'm going to be like God. I'm the most beautiful up here. I I am the obvious one. And the scripture says he tried to raise himself up to the level of God. And that, that spirit, even today, permeates God's people. You see, God expects us to humble ourselves. That means to fall down before him in awe and respect and reverence. I'll just suggest this to you, believers. If you and I never came to God with an humble spirit, realizing our sin, realizing what we deserve, quite likely... There never was a change and there never was salvation. You don't come to to Christ just for the benefits. Benefits are that. They're the extra. You come to Christ realizing that you have no hope without him. Realizing that you need hope, that you need help, that you need what he has. Humbling ourselves before him means that we fall before him. With no hope of our own. And then we pray. 
Imagine that. Then we pray. Pray is not talking to God. It is not talking at God. It is talking with God. It is a two-way conversation. Too often we come up there and we announce all the things we want. We say, see you later. And I can imagine him sitting in heaven going, hey, come back here. I haven't, I'm not through with you. You see, when we pray, we pour out our hearts to him. And he pours out his heart to us. But I suggest to you that the third part of this repentance is why it doesn't happen. It says that we humble ourselves, pray, and turn from our wicked ways. Turn from our evil ways. Turn from our sin. Please hear, repentance is not repentance. Even if you say, I'm sorry for what I said, I'm sorry for what I did, I'm sorry for how I acted, and you intend to do it again, that's not repentance. And it's killing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we repent, we turn away from our sin. And in prayer and humility, we ask Him to forgive us of our sin. And He tells us, when we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And by the way, the great thing about God, He has the ability to do what you and I can't do. He forgets. He forgets. I dare say to us that it would be a blessed subtraction in our life if the Lord would give us the ability to forget. Because, let me ask you a question. How many of you, has somebody ever treated you wrong? Would you please raise your hand? Okay, the rest of us are liars, okay? Now, how many of us have forgiven those people? Now, here's what I'll tell you. You know what forgiveness is then? Forgiveness is turning loose of your right to get even. Laying it down. Here's a question. How many of you still remember that somebody did you wrong? Yeah. You can't forget. The problem is, because we can remember, Satan will use that to pull us down. Well, you know, Kelly, you did that bad to me. I forgive you, but I'm not ever going to forget. Well, he knows I'm not going to forget. But you know what I've just told him? I've just told him I didn't forgive him. Because if I'm going to hang on to it, I'm going to take every opportunity I can to get even. You know, I'm just teasing. Just an illustration. You see, when we forgive, we turn it loose and we let it go. And it's just like, don't you wish we could do it like God does? Throw it as far as east as from the west, drop it in the sea of forgetfulness. Post a no fishing sign because you don't know where it is. Repentance is turning from your sins so God can forgive you. The third word's going to confuse you until you see what I'm trying to say to us. The third word is the word remain. I remain. You notice that I purposely left out one of the four aspects of repentance. And that is, seek my face. Seek my face. Now, the best way I can tell you about this is that when we sin, God turns his face from us. You may not like that theologically. You may not like that personally, but it's true. God does not hover over sin. We choose to sin. He turns his face from us. Now watch this. When we come to him in repentance and we, rep and we turn from our evil ways, we have to turn towards something. When you turn away from something, you're turning towards something. So you turn from your evil ways, you turn to God. Well, now God got his back to you because of your sin. Now watch, hang on. 
And so you remain there. You linger there seeking God's face. And you know what it reminds me of? I understand this is a loose and a silly illustration. But you know what it reminds me of? Some of you do because you've heard me tell it before. It reminds me of the first time we tried to stick, uh, excuse me, the second time we tried to stick meat in the mouth of our baby girl. Do you all know what I'm talking about? No? Well, you fed, we fed her those apricots. We fed her those uh, uh, pears. We fed her those, that applesauce. And boy, she's loving it. And then one day it gets time for her to have a meat. So you put meat in their mouth, and you know what happens? It comes out faster than it went in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, here's the, here's the trick. You get a little more meat back on your spoon, and now you're in a race for life. And it is a scientific fact, and it is a scientifically proven fact. I know somebody proved it, that a baby can move their mouth faster than you can shake a spoon with food on it. And you have to stay after it because you know why? You know it's what's best for them. In a loose and even silly way, that's what I see. That we have to stay, because God wants to know that our heart is right. That we seek Him. That we remain with Him. That we linger with Him. I suggest to us that we get so busy that we don't have time to linger. We don't have time to remain. We don't have time to seek. This is how it begins. He comes to us and he says, hey, it's your responsibility. He puts that hook in us and he calls us to repentance. And either we say yes or no. And if we repent, if we repent, we humble ourselves, we pray and we seek his face. And if we remain before him, we have now put ourselves in the position that he'll come. So what's the payoff? Revival what it means, what it does. Well, that's found in the second part of the 14th verse. If you do all these things, no matter what happens, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. I'll give this to you in three quick thoughts. First of all, if we put ourselves in the right position and we pray, here's what happens. God comes down. He hears. God comes down. He hears. Hey, listen. Can you imagine yourself sitting in your recliner or at your kitchen table, your child being out in the yard, and you hearing a cry for help, and you just sitting there and ignoring it? Anybody like that? No. Can you imagine God sitting in the portals of heaven and hearing a cry from his people? The cotton's now been pulled out of his, eye, out of his ears because our sin has been uh, repented of. Can you imagine God sitting in heaven and saying, Yeah, I hear old Jerry praying, but he's on his own. I hear that church at Hueytown praying, but they're on their own. No. When we put ourselves in the position and we kneel and we earnestly pray even to the point of weeping for God to do something among us, He will hear and He will come. Then I will hear from heaven. But God didn't stop there. Then God cleans. He forgives. He forgives. 
We've already talked about that. Forgiven. If, we're faith, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us for our sin. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Takes those sins, throw them far as east is from the west. Drop them in the sea of forgetfulness. And remembers them no more. He forgives. Do you need to be forgiven today? And the third thing is, God cures. He heals their land. Now I got to thinking about this. In this matter of healing the land, wouldn't it be great if God would just come down in Washington, D.C. and Montgomery, Alabama and heal some folks? Maybe our city council, and I'm just teasing Mike. But I want to say this to you. It's my belief that God gave me a little picture about how he's going to heal our land. I'm going to let you get your Bibles and your notes put up. I believe the way God's going to heal our land is one heart at a time. And he's going to start in a church fellowship just like this. And he's going to heal Erskine. And because of the life Erskine has, it's going to spill over to Charlie. And because of the life Charlie has, it's going to spill over to Gary. The life of Gary, it's going, then they're going to start spilling over three and four at a time. And it starts in one spot. And then all of a sudden it's into Hall of Hueytown. Then it moves to Jefferson County. Then it moves to Alabama. Then it moves to the United States of America. And then it moves to the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. But it begins. It begins one heart. I have to believe that today God is speaking to at least one heart. He spoke to me even as I prepared for today. Has he spoken to you? Will you be the blockade, the obstacle to God's sending revival because you refuse to hear his voice? Because you have too much pride to turn loose of whatever it is that the world's put in your place? When you think about it, very few of the things, very few of the things that we uh, um, are, get upset about are biblical. Most of them are our personal preferences. You see, if there's going to be revival, God's going to come down. And when he comes down, he's going to show us our sin. And then he's going to convict us of our sin. And then he's going to call us to confession and repentance. And when we respond correctly, he will move in. And he will right our relationships. He will clean up our lives. He will change our attitude. He will change our heart. You know, I sense today that we need a little more of the Lord than we've ever had before. I need you more, more than.
than words can say, I need you more. More than yesterday, I need you more. Than ever before, I need you more. I need you, Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, the prayer of my heart is today that you're speaking to people here. Thank you for the way you've let me hear your voice. And I pray that as we hear your voice, I pray that we'll respond to you. And I pray that we'll respond to you so that you can have the freedom to come into this place in a manifest way. Lord, we need you. If you come, we're going to surrender everything we have. 